Hey, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Romans. We're going to start a whole new study this, this week. And this is of all the gospel or all the uh, epistles, which means letter, of all the letters in the Bible, this is the one that people say this is Apostle Paul's uh, best work. People have been set free uh, just by uh, diving into this book. So if you grew up hearing this, I don't smoke, drink, or chew, and I don't go with girls who do. I've never been tempted to date a girl who got to chew and stuff and just, you know, I'm just, it's not there. But if you heard that growing up, chances are you were part of a very legalistic church. And they didn't stop there. They, they added stuff like, oh, if you're a Christian, you cannot play cards. Is that in the Bible? If you're a Christian, you cannot go to a movie show. Is that in the Bible? You know, Pastor Chuck Smith, the head of all the Calvary chapels, said he had never been to a movie because of the, the church affiliation growing up didn't allow it. And so other, you know, just can't do the, oh, my favorite. Women can't wear britches to church. Now that's got to be in the Bible somewhere. So they, they kind of make up all these rules that are legalistic. Um, but it, it's, you know, the, the idea of you're separated from this. And so the emphasis is what you cannot do as a believer. You can't do this, this, or that. And, and instead of what you can do. To be fair, we are separated from things. And that's why Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And repent is an invitation to get right with God, but it's also a command. It's a requirement. Let's get right with God. But today we're talking about not separated from so much, but separated to. This is the positive side, what we get to do as Christians. Now, we're going to read Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. I'm reading from the New King James Bible, if you can... Follow along. Paul. Now that's his name before it was Saul. And then he changed it to Paul, which means little. So he's, I don't know if he's a rapper, little Paul. But uh, a bondservant. Now that's going to be a key word. Bondservant of, of Jesus Christ. Called to be an apostle. Separated, see that, separated to the gospel of God. Which he promised before through the, the, the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. So I have this saying, the God who cannot lie makes promises he cannot break. He promised to send a Messiah. He promised to send this Holy One, the Anointed One, who would forgive us of our sins and pay the price for it. So he promised and he delivered on his promise. He promised before through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David. Pay attention to this. This is going to be our first point. And let's, to, to clarify this, he was born of the seed of David, uh, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, about, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, we've received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. So then he says, to all who are in Roman, to all to this morning, this all who are in Holly Eva, I love this term, beloved of God. We're going to end on that one. It's so good. Beloved of God, we're called to be saints. He was called to be an apostle. We're called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so 
We're going to start with two terms. One is bondservant, but in order to understand what bondservant, or to really appreciate what it means, we're going to start with this term, hypostatic union. It's a $10 term. It's not found in chapter 1, but it's describing what's in chapter 1. It's actually the answer to Job's cry back in Job chapter 9. Now, if you remember, Job was going through it, right? And, and he doesn't know why. I mean, come on, even God was bragging to Satan how good Job was behind the scenes. So we're going, here's Job going through crazy, crazy trials. And, and he goes, you know, I, I feel like I can't talk to God. I, I feel alienated. And so in chapter 9, Job says, for God is not a man as I am, that I might answer him and that we could go to court together, meaning let's go to court and work this out. He said, no, you're not a, a man like that, there, nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on both. Meaning, I wish there was someone, because I want to talk to God, but because of what I'm going through, I just feel like I'm disconnected. I wish there was a connection. Someone who could rightly lay one hand on God and then form this connection to man laying his hand on me at the same time. Jesus Christ is the one who answered that. He is the mediator. He's the only mediator between man and God. And it's like if we get, if we understand and digest and appreciate who this God-man is, then we understand what it's like to serve him. So in the New Testament, we read this. Remember this in Luke chapter 1? And the angel said to her, said to Mary... The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One, meaning Jesus, the Holy One who is to be born of you will be called the Son of God. So what he's saying is, uh, why is this hypostatic union so important? Again, you've got to connect God with man and man with God. The problem is God demands perfection. That's why if you grow up thinking, well, if, if I just do a lot of good, and the good in my life outweighs the bad, I think God will say, come on in. It doesn't work that way. Remember, Jesus cried out, if there's any other way, Father, let this cup pass. If they can be good enough to get into heaven, I don't want to go to the cross. So he's saying that the hypostatic union is necessary because God demands perfection, and by nature, we are sinners. By nature, we're children of wrath, the Bible says. So the way I, I inherited this, the way I inherited my hair color, my eyes, skin color, I also inherited a sin nature, and so did you. So in other words, we're disqualified from being perfect from birth. So there's this connect, God, Jesus says, okay, I will be all God, or I am all God, and I'll become all man, so that I will be that hypostatic union. Now, this is what we're reading in Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He's all God and all man. He's born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. That's all man. And then declared to be the son of God with power. That's all God. So if we understand this and, and appreciate it, not only did he do it, but he wants a relationship with you. It'd be one thing to do this, to accomplish this, and go to the cross and sit down and say, now, at my feet, you sinners. But instead he goes, no, I want you. I want to cleanse you and restore you and use you and bless you. And, and to go, wow, 
It's one thing. I don't know of another who has accomplished so much and wants a relationship with me. Even knows me by name, knows the last hair on my head. So we go, okay, because of this hypostatic union, then we come to the second term, bondservant. Bondservant in the Greek is douloi or doulos. And it's, it's interesting, it's not, it's not what you think uh, a slave who has no say about it, just, eh, I wake up in the morning, I'm a slave, I go to bed at night, I'm a slave. It's not like that at all. It's one who just loves to be a slave, loves to be a servant. So it goes back to Exodus chapter 21. And, and there, there's the scriptures for you, uh, verses 5 and 6 in Exodus 21. And it's talking about in their culture, now this is going back thousands of years. And you could serve a master, you could say, look, I will sell myself to you, I'm broke, I'm destitute. You can give me a bed and a meal, I will work for you for six years. But on the seventh year, the master would come to you and say, okay, you're free. You can go. There's nothing, you, you want to go, you can go. But if the slave goes, where, where else would I go? This is where I want to be. You're the one I want to spend my life with. You're, there's no place else I'd rather be. There's no one else I'd rather be with. I choose to be really a love servant. And at that point, they take the slave to the city gate, and they take a, a pierce all and just, or a scratch all and just uh, put a hole in his ear and put an earring there. And when you saw that earring, oh, it's a lot like a wedding ring. Someone has chosen to be with someone else for the rest of their lives. That ring says, there's no one else I'd rather be with. There's no place else I'd rather go. I choose to serve you for the rest of my life. Now, this is how it works for the believer. Maybe you, you've been a Christian for a while. Let's not say just six years, but maybe you've been a Christian for a while. And you're loving it and... You know, you love the worship, you the fellowship. It's just, how, just nice. And, and yet, sometimes the heart grows. Well, let's just say there's a lot of competition for Jesus. I mean, this is, I mean, come on, there's a lot of competition down here. And, and so suppose the Lord were to come up to you and go, hey, you know, Mike, you're free to go. No one's keeping you. You're not tied down to be here. Do you remember in John chapter 6 where Jesus talked about who he was? The manna that came down from above. And it says a lot of people, oh, man, I have no clue what he's talking about. I'm out of here. I mean, he's just getting spacey. And I, I was here for the miracles. I'm out. Remember, Jesus turned to his apostles. You guys want to go? You're free to go. Because many disciples, which is the term, means learners. Many learners just left. They said, I, I'm out of here. And instead of chasing everybody down and saying, I'll make it easier. I'll make it more modern. I'll tweak it. And he goes, oh, okay. Do you guys want to leave too? And Peter said those famous words. Where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And so here's this idea. I'm a, I am a love slave by choice. Because if God came to me and said, Mike, you're free to go. No, no, no. <laughs> I want to be here. Are you kidding? You give me you give me forgiveness and cleansing and restoration and purpose and promises for a future. No one else offers that. I love you. And so I commit my life to serving you. If you've done that, you're a bondservant. 
You're a, a, a love servant. So Paul's identity, get this, it never changed. His identity, I, I'm a bond servant. No matter what else God has me doing, I am always going back to the fact I'm a bond servant. So he goes, my calling is an apostle. But that would change from time to time. He had different roles, different hats to play. Sometimes he was a missionary. Sometimes he was a Bible teacher. Sometimes he was a pastor, Pastor Paul. And he goes, you know what? Those hats can change. And maybe God has me doing something uh, next year. But you know what? My identity never changes. I am, I am a, a love servant of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and wondering, what in the world is God doing in my life? What does he have for me? Go back to this point. Lord, no place else I'd rather be than with you. No one else I'd rather be with. So here, even though he had these different hat changes and stuff, it was always primarily his identity was a love servant. So now where does this identity come from? Oh, let me just tell you some stories. So in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 10, most of Acts is talking about Paul. Okay, and it starts in, well, in 7 he was there when they stoned Stephen, but he was there in chapter 9. In the Greek, it says he was snorting, snorting threats and murder. He was so against Jesus Christ. He was so against disciples. He thought they were deceived. They're in a cult. And his job was to arrest them or even put some to death. Stuff he regretted the rest of his life. But here he is. He's leaving uh, headquarters, Jerusalem. He's off to Damascus in Syria. And it's like he's snorting like a, a horse. I mean, I wouldn't want to be around this guy. He's got issues, all right? He's breathing threats and murder. I just can't wait to go there and, you know, do it to those guys. So now he gets knocked to the ground. Some say he's knocked off his donkey. You probably won't find that. He's knocked to the ground. And all of a sudden, he's thinking, what's going on? I was standing. I was walking. I'm on a mission. I believe I'm serving God. And now I'm on the ground. What's going on? And he gets blinded. And so Jesus talks to, to Saul. Remember, he was Saul first and then changed his name to Paul. And he goes, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Remember, in the original language, when a name is repeated, like Saul, Saul, it, it's a term of affection. It, he's just saying, hey, I love you, bro. What are you doing? You know, just, so why are you persecuting me? I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting the church. I'm persecuting those crazy Christians. And so Paul goes, who are you, Lord? I thought I knew God. I thought I was serving the right God. So he says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Watch this next. This is one of my favorite phrases in the New Testament. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, a goad was if you were riding a donkey or a mule or a horse, a goad was a stick with a pointed end. And you would hold it in one hand, and if the, if the donkey or mule wasn't paying attention, you'd hit that thing, and, oh, and, and just, it meant, let's get going. Or, come on, I want you to turn here. Don't be so stubborn. So the goad was an instrument used to direct you in a certain way. He says, Paul, I'm using a goad in your life. And instead of submitting and surrendering, you're kicking against this sharp instrument. Your feet are a bloody mess, if you will. Because I'm trying to lead you. You ever been there? 
God's trying to lead you, and instead, you're just kicking against it. I won't surrender. You know, Paul, Saul, Saul, it's hard to kick against the goats. So Paul, Saul, asked two questions. The first one was, who are you, Lord? These are two questions everyone should ask God. Who are you? I'm Jesus. You're persecuted. And then he goes, Lord, what do you want me to do? I mean, an instant surrender. This guy had spent his entire life studying the Jewish ways and, and all that. And now he goes, okay, I am surrendering to Jesus Christ. What do you want me to do? A lot of people go to church. And a lot of people know, oh, his name is Jesus. But they've never asked, what do you want me to do? I mean, I, you, you formed me, you know, on purpose. There must be a reason. You know, when, when a carpenter makes a chair, it's for a purpose. It's, there's a reason involved. Okay, God, you made me. What do you want me to do? And it's not multiple choice. You see, a lot of people say, God, what do you want me to do? And I'll get back to you to see if I want to do it. You know, and if it's not have the gift of healing or the gift of making money or this, you know, no, I'm not interested. Paul's saying, I don't care. What do you want me to do? So it's interesting. Jesus was not added to Paul's life at that point. Paul surrendered. He's not added. He becomes Paul's life. It's not, Paul's not going, hey, this will be great. Jesus, I got room for you uh, an hour and a half on Sunday morning. I'll add you to my schedule. He says, no, it doesn't work that way. So in Colossians 3, verse 4, he says, when, when Christ, who is our life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Talking about when we come back with the Lord to, to take over the earth. So it's not like Jesus is my top priority. It's not like I, there's multiple choice. He's my life. That's the life of the bondservant. So then he goes on to become a missionary. All right, so we'll go... I'm going to give you some things through the book of Acts on the life of Paul. This is found in chapter 13. Remember, he got saved in chapter 9. Just a few chapters later, it says that there's a lot of, there were five people in the church who were pastors, teachers, prophets. They're just seeking the Lord and fasting. Has that been a while since we've done that? Lord, I want to know what you have me to do. And the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me that idea i want him i want him separate unto me it's the it's the way of like when you go into a restaurant and you call ahead and you say you know that nice nice corner that romantic table for two in a corner can you put a reserve sign on that so if anybody else tries to use that table no 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 that's set apart to mike and karen and that's the idea here he goes i want you to separate to me Barnabas and Saul, future tent would, would be Paul, for the work to which I've called them. And so they go out on the missionary journey. They prayed, they fasted, they laid hands on them, sent them out. So they, they uh, he says, you know what? Now he's referring back to this years later. I still have no regrets. He's saying, uh, towards the end of his life, he's, he's writing Philippians. So it's about 64, 66 A.D. That doesn't mean after death. That's Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. So towards the end of his life, he writes in Philippians. And he says, you know, I was going through a lot. I was this Pharisee of Pharisees. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was the man. But those things that were gained to me, 
I have counted as loss for Jesus Christ. All my trophies were gone. I gave them unto the Lord. I just want to know you and serve you. And he goes, 30 years later, when he's writing Philippians, he says, I still count them as loss. I still, I laid it down when I got saved, and I left it laying down. I haven't gotten back and go, well, you know, it wasn't that bad. I'm going to go back and entertain this thing. Or that. No, no, go, I still have no regrets. I did something years ago, given my life to Christ, and I have no regrets. So now we're going to see some present tense faith of the Apostle Paul. When he's writing this letter to the Romans, he's between two crazy things that happened in his life. So the first, let's go to his present tense faith, meaning I want to share something that happened today, this week, rather than what God did in my life years ago. This is for those people, all their testimonies are, you realize that's 20 years ago. You realize that, what did, what did Jesus do this past week? Did he speak to you in devotions? Did you have great fellowship? Did you get to share him with people? Present tense faith. So some five years before writing this book of Romans, okay? Five years before. He's seeking God in Troas. Now we're in Acts chapter 16. This is one of my favorite stories of Paul. He's on a second missionary journey. And he's been called. He's identified as a love servant. And yet, every time, now he doesn't understand it. God is closing doors. He's saying, God, what's up? You've called me. You've gifted me. I'm available. The resources are there. Here I am, and I knock on doors. They've never heard about Jesus before, and you are closing the doors. What's going on? I don't get it. And so he gets to Troas, which is a seaport city on the west coast, modern-day Turkey, up in there. And he's got this feeling like, you know, Lord, I've been this far before, and I love serving you and all that, but I think you have more for me. I, I, I'm knocking on doors. You gave me the calling, the, the desire. I want this, and yet all I see is closed doors. Troas is a, a seaport village. Every seaport town I've ever been to has all the temptations in the world, starting with Honolulu. You want drugs? You want immorality? You want party animals? We got it. L.A., New York, Hong Kong, Tokyo, they're all the same. They have every temptation. Now, I, the reason I'm walking through this is I'm trying to picture Paul. He's going, I don't get it, God. I want more. And just, you're closing doors. Now I'm stuck in some town. It represents every temptation in the world. I'm getting distracted. You know, it's starting to look like, yeah, that one looks pretty good. And that, that scenario is pretty good. But God, I want to serve you. He kept his focus. He also kept his accountability. He prayed with his buddies. He kept, he remembered, I'm a bond servant. I'm a love servant. God spoke to him in a vision, in a dream, and he had this spontaneous, immediate obedience. He didn't say, yeah, sometime next, next month, right away. They, they went out. From there, so that was before he wrote Romans. Now it's just after he writes Romans, within the next year. He's, uh, he spoke to the, to the elders in Ephesus. And it, he's trying to encourage them. 
And they're just telling him, dude, you're going to get killed. You're going to be martyred. So he says this in Acts chapter 20, 24. None of these things move me. He was just rehearsing. <laughs> Guys, you got problems? You got trials? I got people on the outside who hate my guts. I got people in the church who hate my guts. I got this. I got... He's just reading and rehearsing all the trials he's gone through. And he goes, but none of them moved me. You know what my problem is, and perhaps yours? Mm, one of them moves you. Lord, just don't tempt me in this area. My kids, my job, my reputation. You know, and just uh, as long as you hands off that one, we're good. But Paul said, nothing, nothing, nothing's going to be that stumbling where, aha, like the kryptonite for Superman. We'll use this and we'll get him to stumble. Paul says, nothing. None of those things move me. And then he went on. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. It's not a big deal. Here's Paul the Apostle. I'm really not impressed with Paul. Okay? So, so that I may finish my race with joy. Now, if you're in the New American Standard, it doesn't have with joy. New King James, the one I use, has joy because I want to finish my race with joy. I don't want to finish my race like the end of Rocky 1. Remember, beaten to a pole, Adrian, Adrian. No, 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 no. I want to finish my race with joy. That I want to enter in and hear, well done. Give it up for this guy. Enter into the joy of your master. Paul's going, here's that. He's towards the end of his life. He goes, I want to finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify, remember, set him apart to the gospel. I want to testify the gospel of grace of God. Now it comes to our part. This is the last point. Start a hypostatic union. Because Christ is the only one that connects us with God. And he did it in love. And he wants relationship with us. Okay. Secondly, bond servant, I'm going to surrender to you. I'm going to do whatever you, whatever you want. Now, he says, well, you're called, you're not called to be apostles. You're called to be saints. And that means separated ones called out ones, but he starts with beloved of God. I don't use that word a lot. I'm a guy, and I don't call my wife dearly beloved on the phone. It's just, it's just not me. It doesn't mean any, I don't call her a lot of things that, uh, she's the babe of babes, okay? Jesus is the king of kings. Karen's the babe of babes. Enough said. I don't call her beloved. And if you call your wife beloved, I'm not shaming you at all. Go for it. But you understand God calls you beloved. And you have to understand uh, where that one comes from. In 2 Samuel, oh, what a story. You're familiar with 2 Samuel, oh, in chapter 12, but what happened right before that? David and Bathsheba. It didn't end well, remember? Another man's wife, he has their husband killed, she gets pregnant, it's such a mess. For a good year or so, they're total hypocrites in front of the, everybody, say at least nine and a half months. And so one night, you get a knock on the door. Uh, who's, oh, it's Nathan, your good buddy. You know, one of your kids is named after Nathan. Okay, let him in. And Nathan tells that story, uh, 
it, it, this is how he broke it to David. It was a word picture. Because, you know, this guy had a lot of sheep. His neighbor had one. And the guy needed a barbecue for his friends. And instead of using one of his, he went and took the only one from his neighbor. And David said, disgusting. That guy ought to pay fourfold. And Nathan goes, David, you're the man. You're the man. You're in sin. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament law, he should have been killed twice. Once for murder, once for adultery. You want to know about grace in the Old Testament? Look at David and Bathsheba. Because Nathan the prophet said, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. But the child, the son born to you, is going to die. So he died. But then along comes the grace of God. I mean, he just loves David. He loves Bathsheba. And along comes the grace, so they do get married. And they have natural relations. And she gets pregnant again. And then she has a son. They go, oh, let's call him Solomon. You know, I like peace. Solomon. And so one night, who, who's out there? Uh, Nathan the prophet. Oh, man. <laughs> I, ain't no, I am not going to answer that door. Last time he came in, there was a black cloud over my life for a year. I don't want that anymore. Go away. Let's pretend they're Jehovah's Witnesses, and we won't answer the door, you know. And, and so, hey, uh, it's Nathan. you got to let him in. I love this story. Nathan comes in and goes, <laughs> hey, you got, you got a son. And you named him Solomon. But God has a name for your son. Can you imagine David going, here we go. A little uppercut, just. God calls your son Jedithet. <laughs> Beloved. God loves your boy. <laughs> he loves your kid. Grace abounds. Love, it all opens up, poured out. That's the word God chose to call you. Beloved. Not disgusting. Just loves you. I think if we would digest that, really digest, it would change our lives. God loves me. Send a son to prove it. So, saint, he says, I'm calling you beloved. I'm calling you saint, means a called out one. If I'm following this hypostatic union, if I'm following the Savior of the world who died for my sin, I'm not going to live in sin. I'm going to try and honor him with my lifestyle. Here's the problem in so many churches today. There's no distinction whatsoever between the believers and the unbelievers. The believers are copying the way the unbelievers live. And so many unsaved who really want to hear about God, they look at that person's lifestyle and say, why should I get saved? You're no different from me. You're living just as sinfully as I am. What, what are you? You're not a called out one. You might as well be called the unsaint because God didn't spare his son. And he calls us called out ones. I am to live a lifestyle where people go, what's different about you? And that's why as we're going through t uh, Peter in our Ohana groups, 
We're supposed to be ready to give everyone an answer for the hope that lies within us. That means they look at your lifestyle and go, okay, what's so different? I want what you have. That's a called out one. See, you might go, I, I have a friend who's in this, uh, they're not living right. And they're on the wrong side of what the scripture says to live. You know, best thing you could do is be a saint. I mean, yes, you pray for them. Yes, you share with them. But do they look at your lifestyle and say, I see because of your love for Jesus, you live differently. You're a called out one. See, Jesus is not added to my life. Oh, I can fit you in on Sundays. and He is my life. Separated to Jesus. Separated to share the gospel of grace. Here's the deal. <laughs> a lot of people have no idea what grace is. I, I shared years ago, there was a Jehovah Witness came to my door with his son. And uh, God spoke to my heart. said, so just share every scripture on grace you know. So by grace you're saved. And just one thing after another on the grace of God. And finally the little boy tugged his dad's jacket. He goes, hey dad, what's grace? And the dad goes, ask him. <laughs> grace means you're accepted. By God. Grace means your, your payment is paid in full. You don't have to work real hard to please God. He's already madly in love with you, beloved. And we get to share this grace. You don't work real hard to get into heaven. You accept a free gift and then you, you live your life unto him. So for someone here today, can this be said of you? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Remember, a goad was a sharp instrument used, oh, it's kind of smart, but it's to get you going in the right direction. And it's in love that here's the master trying to, okay, Mike, let's make a right here. Okay, Mike, let's stop. Let's go. And instead of receiving those instructions, if I just kick against it, it's like the Lord's going, what are you doing? You like that? You like having bloody feet? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. The very thing God is using to steer me in the right direction to what he has for me. So then we answer, or we ask those same two questions Paul did. Who are you? Who am I to you? You're like the psalmist said, <laughs> I look at the stars, I look at the creation. <laughs> Who am I that you're concerned about me? Who are you? I'm Jesus, he would answer. The one you're persecuting, the one you're living against. And what do you want me to do? You're created on purpose and for a purpose. And you will be happiest when you're living his purpose in your life. Know that you're beloved. Receive his grace. And live as they call that one. If the worship team would come back up, how do you land this thing? How do you, uh, how do you understand this? It could be you've never been called beloved. You've been called a lot of other things, but not beloved. And God has a word for you. Beloved. Jejethan. You struggling like Job? Job saying, man, my life's a mess. I don't know what's going on. I wish there was a connection that I had with God. 
You have that now in Jesus Christ. You know, I, I, I want to close in prayer before we worship. I, I think there's folks here who are really going through it. And you don't want to, but you relate to Job. Going, what's going on? You relate to Saul when he was knocked to the ground, like, what? What is happening in my life? You have more questions than answers. The answers come when you realize God is calling you beloved and to live like a called out one. Let's, let's pray. Father, this is your word. We love it. We're really good at being inconsistent. We're really good at needing the grace of God. I pray for those here that have just been through a crazy week or year. Those who feel alienated and just not welcomed. Those who seemingly have no real friends. Those who are asking the questions, God, what are you doing in my life? I pray this morning would be a, a morning of hope, of new beginnings, of grace, that they'd hear clearly your call to say, come unto me, beloved. Live like a called out one. If that's you this morning, just pray, God be with you and answer the call of your heart. And I also pray, Lord, if, if there's someone here who does not know you, has been trying to be real good and to earn your love, rather than receive it, I pray today would be the game changer. Today would be the day of sweet surrender to Jesus Christ. We trust you, Lord, with childlike faith. Thank you for calling us beloved. Guys, let's stand and worship him.